My name is Kelly Brown. I am one of the co-founders uh, co of this church. My husband and I started this church uh, along with Georgia and Amanda Hyatt nearly 20 years ago. Uh, I serve at this church also as a woman shepherd, and um, I'm reading the scripture to you this morning. Reading from Luke 24, verses 13 through 53. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and appeared walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing them. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here, there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah, who would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on the way back to Jerusalem. There they found 11, the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord really has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking bread. 
And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be to you. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it is really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts do not have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. They stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness for sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send my Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him, and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor at Christ Central Church, once again. And um, when I hear the series of stories um, leading up to Jesus' resurrection, uh, in, the, in these death and particularly, in particular, resurrection accounts, when I look at the reactions of the disciples that we see here today, those who had followed Jesus during his earthly ministry, two words ironically come to mind. Not enough, right? Not enough that at his death before his appearing, that get this, this much of the book was, was, was uh, them walking and, and, and learning with Jesus that without this very last chapter, all of this, not enough. Not enough to make for redemption and joy and true religion and redeeming knowledge and powerful change or community or world-changing mercy and justice and heavenly bliss. Not enough. And like these sad disciples, you and I find in this chapter, Easter morning and especially the Monday after Easter morning can be discouraging. Because you hear all of this stuff, and even for me, as I prepare for what is described arguably as the holiest week of the year for the church, you get this sort of 
therapy, a surreal experience. I even find myself disappointed by what I should be feeling and what it should be and mean and do for me. The visceral effect of Easter can be overrated, and sometimes I'm left disappointed that going around saying he is arisen, he's risen indeed, he got up, is not enough. That all the blood and body talk is riveting, but not enough. That all of y'all being here looking good in your Easter clothes, looking all Easterly, not enough. But take hope here. For those coming and looking for something special today, or in today, or about today, like his disciples were, walking alone, trying to figure out what all of this means and should mean for you, Jesus' resurrection makes what has failed to live up to his religious billing and promises not enough to make them alive with fresh hope. Look with me at verse 25 through 27. It says, Then Jesus said to them, after explaining, you know, after walking with these folk, uh, these two followers, right? You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Because these, this, these followers who you're walking with are very sad, right? They're sad that Jesus died. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then later, when he finally reveals himself, he said in verse 44, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are my witnesses of all these things. Jesus recognizes in his frustrating response, right? Imagine frustrating Jesus on Easter morning, right? <laughs> In his frustrating response, he recognizes that it was not enough. That these disciples, as they described it, had, been, had good teaching. Imagine Jesus being your pastor, right? Good teaching as Jesus explained back to them on the way to Jerusalem. All they should have learned about him that should have made them happy and hopeful right now and, and not all sad and depressed like they were. It was not enough that they had the Old Testament Bible and theological knowledge that they went to Sunday school growing up. Maybe grandmama dropped them off. They learned about Noah and the ark and David and Goliath and all that. And, and these folks even got to hang with Jesus in person. They learned the Bible principles by one of the most relevant, cool preachers of the day, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and when he preached, you know, he used illustrations that were popular in the day and he was just so good at making things relevant, right? He was so down to earth in his teaching, all social gospel, stick it to the man, power to oppress teaching, you know? And at the same time, oh, he was so conversational and therapeutic and spiritual and mystical. All the things we like. And like them for us eventually. 
You realize and come to a point where all that Bible knowledge and teaching and theology and seminary education even and all the deep and cool and relevant and spiritual and mystical and edgy is not enough to make your world work and to keep life from feeling sad and burnt. There's obviously even not enough that they saw miracles. In verses 17 through 21, they, they talk about how Jesus walked around with power and miracles. We saw him. I mean, as they describe Jesus, he, he took them on the high of a prayer conference. We saw, you, you believers been there. We're going to go to the mountains, right? We're going to go the, to, to the retreat center. And Jesus, man, he took them on the prayer conference, the spiritual retreat. He was all, went all alone and meditated for hours in the morning. He was yogified and centered and found connection and friendship at a really good community group or worship service. Man, they had that charismatic experience with Jesus. I mean, think about it. The dead walked. The blind could really see. The lame even thought they could dance. And they did. With Jesus, they got the goosebumps and the visions and the dreams. Man, they got it all. I mean, I could look back on my charismatic seeing and feeling signs and wonder days. I could, they still have, stuff still happens. But I remember that was the thing when I was a young Christian at Clemson, right? All night prayer meetings, tongue talking, prophesying. We used to have something called um, the prayer chair, right? We'd be all up in the woods with some, we, we were part of a church here. Wow, man. It was wow. And they had the, the, the chair of prophecy or something like that. And, and they had a stone altar like this high. And, you know, over the years, it's really cool. They would bring a stone for every prayer request. I mean, and this cross was like 20 feet long and, and, and 10 feet wide. And all the, the stones are this high. I'm like, man, that is a testimony of faith right there, right? But at the stone altar was a chair. And you sit there and we would prophesy and the moon would be up in the sky. I mean, it was incredible. Stephen says some prophecy over me. Oh, man. We were so spiritually higher and pumped up than the poor sinners dra dragging on that bud, right? Or turning up that mad dog 2020. We was in the spirit, right? But now those charismatic best relationships we ever had together days are over. Life's come in. Bills, mortgages, them student loans from the charismatic days. <laughs> I have to be, they have to be almost reheated in microwaves or air fryers of our minds at the right temperature because things have gone dry and hard and spiritually difficult now. You don't even have time to go to a retreat. You can't even afford to go away for a few days and make a stone altar, right? Stone's expensive now. And for some of you, if it ain't spiritually hopping, for some of us, it ain't happening, right? And eventually, when you realize that all the shouting, hallelujahs, and thank you, Jesus, and for some of us, all, some of us are into the alternative spirituality right alongside with our Christianity, right? Sage burning and crystal using and meditating and chakra finding and astrology trusting and vision having on that THC. And all of that stuff don't make your kids act right. It's not enough to make your intimate relationships work. It's not enough to make your besetting sins go away. 
It's not enough to make the ghosts, the demons of your family history are enough for you to get up and be placed on time and get your financial social commitments in order or keep you out of debt or believe that God is really changing you and your world powerfully. You recognize that even that stuff was not enough. It was not enough what we see in verse 22. That they heard testimonies from the women who claimed to see an angel. Right? These are the same women who Jesus taught. They were disciples sitting right at his feet, learning the same stuff, following him, giving their life for him, giving their money to him, doing all the things they were supposed to do, right? These women were trustworthy. And they got up and said, we saw an angel. The body is gone. And disciples confirmed, yep, he gone, right? Or at least the body gone. But with all of that, you know how it goes when people testify and are happy and and hysterical. Male or female, sometimes we'd like, they crazy. They just emotional and sappy. They just over happy. And had some misinterpreted spiritual experience. I'm born again. I'm saved, y'all. I met the Lord. You know these people in their lives. They, they got to share their story and expect for us to be moved. Man, please, drama, right? And you will despise suffering and crying and so, so sobbing and people who believe they have encountered the Lord and praise God. Dropping the God is good all the time, and all the time God's good. With their blessed hashtags and license plates. You just want to mug them in the face sometimes. <laughs> Chop them in a larynx. Right? Something. When you're not having a good day, you just kind of hope something happens so bad that they finally get this stuff together so they can start being the made-for-TV movie on everything going bad, but how Jesus saved them, Right? Some of us will harden up and need proof of everyone's Jesus purchase, and we need receipts to validate it as something that you will let your heart connect and buy into your firewall for the messy and it is on high, and nothing and nobody with dirty with earth or sweat or blood or tears gets through to you. Even Jesus' sad death and suffering story gets, goes to spam first for many of you emotionally. If it's too Jesus sweet or too Christ sour, no way. Not enough. I mean, look at verse 19 through 21 with me. So they said, they're walking with Jesus. Again, the Bible says God didn't let them know it was Jesus. And they're like, you know, he comes along and is like, hey, what's been going on? They're like, you don't know about these things? And he goes, what things? I don't know. I, I kind of see Debo's voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> what bite? No, but for those of you who know Friday, sorry. <laughs> I know Jesus probably didn't do the voice, but I was reading. I couldn't get it out of my mind. You don't know things? What things? Okay. Okay, that's just a little joke I couldn't get over. I had to put it on somebody else's mind. So the next time you read the Bible, you'll think that's Debo's voice. So the things, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Didn't you know? It was not enough that Jesus suffered an ancient Eastern lynching, and then died on the cross for justice. See, it was not enough that Jesus pulled a Gandhi or an MLK, 
And for some of you, the William Wallace-esque thing, all in one, right? I mean, we are talking about the divine claiming dude who invented mercy ministry. And since he came as God in the flesh to our world, you know, stuff like going to a really hard place or a really uh, far distant land, a poor place or country, don't have nothing on him. He was the, boy, this is an old thought, old term. He was the inner city ministry to the worst, right? He was complete with the kind of things we brag about when we do our hippie, liberal Jesus, Christianity, social justice, mercy, ministry, ethnic equity thing, Right? I do it too to make myself feel good, right? These followers of Jesus here have stories to tell for the rest of their and our lives at the dinner table. We walk with him, yeah. We were there when he went over to the other side where the Gentiles go and he took over the demons. We was there. We were there when he stuck it to the man, told the Pharisees to go someplace, sit down. Right, we were there. We, we, we walk with king, if you will. We struggled. We were in the struggle, right? We, we was there. We, we, we are the most mercy ministry disciples you ever know. They can act haughty around the suburban-bound evangelicals. Jesus was, in many ways, the anti-establishment, anti-rich church, help the poor, kind of the pierced and tatted, angry Christian Christianity guy. And he took them and us as we read through his story on the best mission trip, complete with pictures of stories and passion and hope and Christian romantic epicness and connection to last a lifetime. But as some of you know, living in the hood, it ain't 28205 no more. Kelly, remember we moved to the hood? We could afford our house. Can't afford it now. Can't move back. Voting. Some of y'all voting and politically leading differently than 80% of the church folks around you. Going overseas. Being with those poor pushed out of the city folk. Marching with the marginal and oppressed and mistreated historically maligned people groups. Supporting the three or seven-plus-letter philosophies and action groups, telling your story like some sort of missional love-the-world-fight-the-power Christian Indiana Jones makes you eventually overwhelmed and burned out. And unfortunately for some of us, you're so fired up. You never really join a church. You're always on the outside looking in critically disillusioned with Christianity and its Lord, just like these disciples, just kind of walking sad. We've all, if you've been in any kind of ministry like that, there comes a point where you're just walking away sad because you realize, guess what? In and of itself, it's not enough. The word eventually, even Jesus' social gospel and moral teaching is not enough. This pastor is revealing that it was not enough that he walked with them for three or so years, that he walked with them for two hours, man, about community. This was one of those experiences like friends in high school and college that would have, as their theme song, have all the slow Michael W. Smith songs, Right? 
friends of friends forever, right? Pray for me and I pray. Remember, some of you who graduated in the late 80s, early 90s, every graduation had that song and you'd be crying. <laughs> Maybe you had boys to men. Although we've come to the end of the road, <laughs> we'll be friends forever. That's what they thought. Man, they was boys and girls together, right? This was community they had with the disciples of Jesus. I mean, they, they sat around probably and talked and, and had jokes, I'm imagining. They, they, they were in community. They were the best of friends, blood, and body could buy. And now all of that we share deeply. And I know and I can just be myself around Jesus. And nobody knows me like them. And they're my family away from family. And mom and dad, they rejected me. I wasn't in enough crew, right? Man, with Jesus, we have fraternity for eternity, right? All that community. And some of you know all too well, that community thing, it don't always last. We had a community group. All it took was it's a bunch of married with no kids, right? I think it was what, four of them or five of them in this group? Five couples? All it took was Four of them to get pregnant and one not. Community was over. <laughs> you, God, God will help y'all. We out. I don't feel like hearing that either. Right? Sometimes it gets stale and burdensome and worksome and run out of steam and even fake or better yet, wait until someone confronts someone else about their sin in the group. <laughs> or your sinful lifestyle or, or, or something like that, right? Once again, all the stuff you think you join a church for, it's not enough, y'all. So the Bible tells us that eventually God opens their eyes so they can know that it was Jesus with them all along, and this is what happens. We're going to read through this passage because it happens twice. First with them in Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus, and then with the disciples. Verse 35, then the two from Emmaus told their story. This is after he opened their eyes. That how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them, peace be with you, he said, hold on. I always liked this story. I didn't write this, but as Kelly was reading, I'm like, you walking with, some, with Jesus, he just disappeared? What? Snap, he gone? What? Pop? Huh? Prince? Okay. Okay. He, he just gone? What, what, what happened, man? I, I don't want to go next because I don't know where I'm going. When you see one person pop out, you think maybe you next. Where are you going? Uh, a multiverse place? I don't know what happened. And then they're hanging out, and they're saying, hey, we saw Jesus, we saw Jesus. And man, I don't know what happened, but he ghosted, for real. <laughs> he was gone. And then he just, you know, imagine just sitting there talking. We, oh gosh, I'm sorry, y'all. It's Easter Sunday. We're going to go a little longer. But I remember we were in, when we lived in Belmont, it was Clark. 
when you, we'd be watching TV in a warehouse work, because it was a 1920s bungalow, like the doors opened up into the main area. So it wasn't a hall of protection. So when you come out your room, you ride in the living room with a TV. So we watching our show, maybe hanging out with Amari and Sharice, and we don't put them to bed. And all of a sudden you feel this presence. Y'all have experienced that? And here's Clark. I can't sleep. Oh, can I get some Wawa? Remember that? But that feeling of somebody in here. <laughs> I can imagine with something like that. And they're like, who is, is Jesus? Who, who is this dude, right? And, and he said, he goes, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, blah, blah. 15, where'd he come from, right? He was suddenly standing among them. He goes, peace be with you. This ain't peaceful, dog. This is something wrong. You don't just show up on somebody. You don't just walk up on somebody. But the whole group said, right, rightly was startled and afraid, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he asked them, why are you frightened? Come on. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. And I love this verse. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, fish and he ate it as they watched. Scripture's like real. Like this could be a sitcom episode right here. You know? But get this. It is not enough that he actually reveals himself in the flesh. Maybe it's because he got that post-resurrection fuzzy look. But the Bible says they get scared of his intimate glory. And then when they started to come around that what? They stood there in disbelief filled with nobody jumping, nobody clapping, just stood there and filled with joy and wonder. They get so cross-threaded between two dimensions and three or four multiverses. They, they're tripping, right? Their minds haven't caught up with their heart rate. They are caught up in a champagne supernova, right? They, without the drugs, tripping. They're riding the spiritual yellow submarine. They're riding the white horse, man, right? Mama say, mama say, my cousin, right? <laughs> They don't know what's going on. Ever wonder what it would be like if Jesus showed up in his resurrection glory, y'all? Some of us would fall on the ground and start barking like a dog, I guess. Some of y'all would shave your heads and chant for the rest of your lives. You would be so turned out, man, the train would leave the station and your luggage would be left behind. What would a resurrected, uninformed encounter with Jesus do to you? We see, don't we? I mean, the ramifications of the resurrection, hear me now, are too big for our human level ram. Okay? We can download the megabytes, but we can't manipulate it to fit and work in our lives. 
And so when we get, we can't, when we can't emotionally and mentally handle the import of the resurrection, what do we do? We store it away. We try to manage it. And eventually Jesus becomes an overload to our broken and sinful existence where we and him, we just can't exist together in the, in the same heart, in the same soul, in the same plane, in the same mind. So some of us put him in the trash bin, but never emptying it, of course, just not able to bring him all the way in. You know why? Because Jesus, this resurrected Lord, doesn't play well with other programs in our lives. Right? The, the one, our operating systems are committed and able to make work for us. And so this twisted and weird sadness and disillusionment and despair and distance, just standing there in disbelief, but wanting to believe, you just get stuck. And it will eventually cause us, like the disciples, to freeze. because we are trying our hardest to process it. I guess all we are is failures and fakes and fools and backsliders and fearful. He just can't fit. Please go away. Jesus, you're so wonderful. You're so amazing. You're so outerworldly. Otherworldly, rather. Please. I can't take it. Look at me. Jesus, you scare me. A lot of us are afraid of Jesus. You know, I told somebody who was struggling with something in their life, and I'm like, you can join the church and struggle. I don't care. But I sinned in this way. Thought they had me. I do this. And I was like, Okay. Are you repentant? Yeah. But, it, you know, it ain't gone all the way. I said, you can still join. You know why? I said, we, we can, we're going to deal. We're going to pastor. We're going to shepherd. I talked to the session about it. They're like, yeah, this person can join, even though they have this issue in their lives. I said, you know, we may never approach you about this ever again, right, directly. I said, but guess what? <laughs> we have a slight problem. There is one person in this congregation that is out of control, and that's Jesus. He's scary because you can't control where he comes and where he goes. He can just pop in on you, right? It happens to me sometimes. I'm doing my own thing, and I want to do something different. I want to do something bad. I want to go on the other side, right? Pop, there he is. <sighs> He's scary. And so some of you won't allow him in your life, in your mind. I remember one Christmas, we had so many video games. I don't know what happened. I, it's not the boys back in the day. It's me. You, you know, I'm the parent who gets excited about the toys more than the kids. And I want to buy everything. And, you know, I have this vision of them. Thank you, Dad. Thank you. Right? Playing the video games. And I went and got the most, well, Legos are expensive. So I bought a bunch. I had a big set of Legos, like the 5,000 piece or something. The tenth, like, it was the, the high-end one, right? It's the one that's the only one left after people with good sense have gotten other ones, right? <laughs> I got the batteries. 
I got everything, the remote control cars, and I laid it out. And but as many of you have learned to know, it didn't work. It was an overload. They didn't know where to start. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know how to put stuff together. They didn't know how things work. They fussed and fought and bickered and, and, and one's doing one piece of Lego over here and the paper ain't working right. And then they thought, stop and they jumped to the video games and then they jumped to the remote control car and the re remote control car wheels are, are going through the Legos and mixing stuff up and it's a mess. You know why it didn't work? Because I was not alive and present. Here's what I learned and all that I've given them and empowered to do. It gets lost and it gets empty. I must be alive and central and present as their parent. I bring life to all I've given them in this life. You see, Christianity is and was never about being good enough. Did you know that? Christianity is not about being trustworthy enough. It has never been about being moral enough or theologically and biblically competent enough and being able to cover your, or hide your brokenness and sin enough and forgive enough and love enough and give enough and, and look the part enough and promise God enough and finally have finished sinning in the same way enough. No, this passage speaks against that. Because I mean with the pieces, these followers of Jesus were able to put together all they got after putting it all together was, guess what, y'all? We were just involved in another pyramid scheme that we gave our livelihoods and reputations and maybe at this point hiding out from the Romans, we might end up dying. No wonder like back then and now today, Christianity is easy to get cynical and easy faith to hide away from others. Because there's something more to the scandalous disaster called Christianity. Look at verse 30 with me. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread, then he broke it and gave it to them. Again, this is the two followers. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? explaining the scriptures to us. So now their hearts are burning, according to what they said. He, you know, now they're recognizing, they're putting the pieces together. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who gathered with them. And what did they say? They're not sad anymore. The Lord is really risen. He appeared to Peter, right? Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them says, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened and thinking they'd seen a ghost. We just read this. Why are you frightened? Why are your heart filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet, right? Uh, touch me and make sure I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And he spoke. He showed them. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. The Bible says, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Because he wants to show them ghosts don't eat. So they were like, let's see if anything falls on the ground, Right? Boom, hits the ground, you're a ghost, right? Then he said, when I was with you, before I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now stop right there. That's not enough. But look at the next verse. 
Then he opened their, uh, her mind, their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You now are the witnesses of these things. You sad folks, you hiding out folks, you are now the witnesses of who I am. You see, Jesus' followers were not in the right, time, right place at the right time. They were hiding out. They were not able to piece all the scriptures together and, 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 and theological be encouraged enough to not be scared and saddened by, the de by his death and even believe what the women who saw Jesus said and what that meant. They were not courageous enough to continue to be good followers of Jesus. They couldn't see it, get it, be it. Their faith was disappointing and sad like many of yours today. They were missing the most key piece, or better yet, person. The followers in the faith needed him. It needed Jesus. Not there philosophically, not there metaphorically, not there pedagogically, right? Just a teacher or post-mortem Tupac and Biggie-like making their top five all-time greatest. They don't need that. They needed Jesus alive, living and active there with them in the real. And that is what God is offering you. And for most of us reminding us of today, you can't miss him and make it about anything else being enough. Good things, right? Can't get you there. He always has to get us as the living Lord. There's an old Easter song I grew up singing in the old church, and it goes this way. <laughs> Can't believe I'm reading this, this hymn. How sweet to hold a newborn baby like we did today and feel the pride, the joy that he gives. Oh, but greater still the calm assurance we can face uncertain days because he lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives. And then one day I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth living. Just because he lives, he lives and he lives. And yeah, there's some corn and a lot of cheese and that's thing, I know. But when life and your raggedy faith and your scaredness and our brokenness and our cynicism and our need for sensational and hypocrisy and our ghosting of the Lord when it becomes convenient and inability to find hope in the scriptures in the not enough, Jesus lives and rose to be the Lord of your not enough. Jesus lives, and, and even when it is not enough for us to see him and honor him and recognize him and love him and obey him because he lives and lives for and with us, he sees us. When it is not enough that we know what is right and still do wrong, he lived to die for our sins. 
When it is not enough for you to love and feel love and, and know your value, he lives to speak to your heart and soul the love and power of God in a way that you can only feel it and know it because he lives and thus promises to be the Lord of the not enough. In all of us and around us, contrary to popular belief, Christianity has never been about being good enough or understanding and theologically getting the scriptures enough. Plenty of folk know every word of this Bible, and when they get to heaven, he's going to be, I don't know you. Oh, plenty of folk, reformed folk, got the tulip, got the reformational theology down, are going to go to heaven before him, and he's going to say, you really learned that Bible good. But it was always about knowing it in the light of my resurrection. People. We don't have to live in the not enough when we have a Savior who lives and is now enough. Yes, we read the Scriptures. Yes, we study the Scriptures. Yes, we do small groups and community. And yes, we do church. Yes, we do the sacraments. Yes, we do all these things. But the power of it is in the life that Jesus brings because he lives in it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Some of us have stopped short and realize it's just, man, a lot of burned out folk in here who've tried to do enough and be enough and, and learn enough and be theologically straight enough. Lots of us. Oh, we've worked hard to cover our sins enough to look good. But Lord, it don't make sense unless you've risen. Remind us of that today and tomorrow and in the middle of the week on Wednesday. You are the Lord of the not enough. In your name we pray, amen.